Hello, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Horizon Church in Allentown, Pennsylvania. We want to help people connect with God and connect with each other. If you'd like to know more about us, you can go to our website at horizonconnect.org. Enjoy. Thank you, Andy. I can't remember, when you, uh, when you were at Millersville, did you stay with the Obeses? Okay. You used to play dominoes. Yeah, you used to go over, yeah, yeah. All right, so you knew them too. Um, uh, given uh, what the last couple of days were like, um, I, I do have a couple PowerPoint slides. We'll put the scripture on the slide, but very few other slides. But if you want to follow along, just because I won't be able to um, have a lot of, of slides, we're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians in just a couple minutes. And if you have your Bibles or your phones, you want to find it, book of Ephesians chapter 4. Um, and if you are a note taker, maybe some things you want to see so you can just kind of keep your, your, your Bibles open. Let me, let me pray, and then, uh, then we'll uh, continue. God, I thank you for your presence in our lives. I thank you, God, for your presence not only at the good times, but I thank you especially for your presence during times of heartbreak. Thank you, God, for how you have been very real to us, to my family Donna's family over the last few days and hours. Thank you, God, for the promise of eternity and the hope that we have uh, that you are welcoming Mama Bet's home and that she's experiencing stuff that we just, we cannot fathom and begin to understand. God, I, I want to pray for us now here as we engage in your word to us. We do all have a burden for wanting to know if this is true. So I pray, God, that through your spirit that you'd convict us and that you'd interact with us as we talk about your word. Father, if in any way I have gotten off track or if I say something wrong, I'm grateful, God, that I can trust your spirit to guard us so that nobody here or listening will be influenced the wrong way. But God, I do pray that you would take what we talk about, what we read, and what is true, I pray, God, that through your Spirit, you would also be engaged with each of us, and you'll be transforming us into the people you want us to be. I pray, God, then, that when we leave here, we would live out that truth, and that we would do so in love. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So do you remember, do any of you remember what you wanted to be when you grew up? Anybody? Um, Donna, Donna, when Donna, Donna was a little girl, Donna said that when she grows up, she wants to be a garbage man. Uh, now, there are a couple of problems with that idea, uh, but Donna thought that the idea of riding around the city on the back of a big truck looked like a world to fun, a fun to Donna, and that was her girl, goal as a little girl, to grow up to be a man. I wanted to be, um, when I was little, I wanted to be an NFL football playing airplane flying forest ranger. Um, Somewhere in my 50s, I realized that all of the NFL football players were younger than me, and so I surrendered that part of the dream. But I still want to be an airplane flying forest ranger when I grow up. That dream persists. You know, there's a time in life, um, there is a time in life when growing up is what we do. Growing up is what everybody expects us to do. 
And it starts pretty young when the big people in our lives will look at us and put their faces very close to us little people, and they will say with kind of a, a funny little voice, they will say, how big are you? Right? How big are you? And then the big people in our lives will throw up in their arms and they will go, so big, so big. Growing up, so big is the goal. And then there's the age when you start growing up so big and the people close to you will look at you after not having seen you for a couple months and they will say, my, how you've grown. You've grown since the last time I saw you and it gives us the kind of pride that we're growing up. Maybe there's a, a series in your house, maybe there's a series of always taller pencil lines on your kitchen doorway, for example, and it shows how you've grown. Or maybe there's a series of pictures hanging in a hallway somewhere, starting with a kindergarten photo, and each one in a circle getting older and older year by year, tracking the progress of your growing. Maybe there are magic marker drawings of rainbows on your refrigerator. And down in the corner, across the whole page, maybe, those big, blocky, all-capital preschool letters spelling out the name of the person who drew that magic marker rainbow, spelled M-C-A-I-E, because sometimes the letters get a little bit mixed up. And then on the bottom, in mom's handwriting is written correctly, Macy, four years old. Because we all know Macy won't be four years old for long. And magic marker rainbows and big blocky preschool letters will turn into boyfriends and college applications. There is a time when growing up is what we want to do until it isn't anymore. And then we just get on doing what it is we grew up to do. But there is a kind of growing that should never, ever stop, right? The growing of our minds, our souls, our characters. As many of you know, because I told you, if you heard when we started on Thursday, after a day of being spent running errands and doing some shopping with her youngest daughter, Donna's sister, Mom Obat suddenly at dinner collapsed in the dining room of the independent facility where she lived. It was obvious to everybody in the ER when she arrived that she was dying, and they told her daughters so when they arrived. So since Thursday night, Friday afternoon, Friday all day, was uh, a long vigil. And after 17 hours of sleeplessness and holding her mom's hand and singing and praying to her. Donna, Friday afternoon, needed some rest. So another sister was there, and she said, I'll keep watch. And Donna and I drove a few minutes from the hospital to Mom Obetz's apartment. Donna napped. I worked on this. I walked around the apartment a little bit, looking at the stuff that made up Doris's life. 
I looked at the books on her bookshelves. I was surprised. A lot of biographies, including a few of people who are current influencers in our world right now. Mom Obatz was still reading about our leaders and influencers. Apparently, she still wanted to learn. And learning is a good kind of growing, right? I saw her Bible with the bookmark in it where she had read the last few paragraphs of God's Word, maybe just that morning, Friday, Thursday morning, the last words of the Bible that she would ever read. Apparently, here she was finishing the ninth decade of her life, and she still assumed that she could read the Bible and grow in her faith. I expect, actually, that she is still growing right now. People ask, how old will we be in heaven? Which is kind of a stupid question, as if we will be one age and remain so forever, which would be boring, would it not? I expect heaven is a place, much like this world, of change, of growth. And I expect she's still growing in a way that is more magnificent than we can ever imagine now. I expect that she is hearing words from Jesus through ears that no longer needs a hearing aid that she left behind. There is a kind of growing of our souls that should never, ever stop, right? I think we all know that as followers of Jesus. We all know we are supposed to grow. I don't think that surprises anyone. But can you tell me what that's supposed to look like? Is there any way for you or for me to know that I am actually growing in my faith? And how do I grow? What causes me to grow? I think it would only take about 13 seconds for us to realize that the answers that we would be tempted to give at first are probably the wrong answers. For example, many of us who have been around church for a long time when asked what it looks like to grow and how do we do it, we might be tempted to say, well, read your Bible, go to church. But then you might remember that the people who were the most devoted to knowing Scripture and the most devoted to active participation in religious life in Jesus' day were also the very ones that saw to it that Jesus was executed. Which makes me go, hmm. I wonder. Now, I don't think that reading the Bible and going to church are anti-growth pursuits. But obviously, there is a key missing ingredient. And I, for one, want to know what it is. What does it mean 
to grow? And is there a way for me to know that I am growing? And what causes it to happen? Well, we are embarking today on a several-week pursuit of figuring this out. I want to know, what does it mean for me to grow? How can I know if I am? How do I make it happen? I think in the whole Bible, one of the clearest descriptions of growing actually happens to be in a letter that our Wednesday night Bible study group just finished reading on Wednesday night, Paul's letter to the Christians in the ancient city of Ephesus. In chapter 4, if you got your Bibles open, in chapter 4, there's a very precise description of what it looks like. Now, in the verses I'm going to read for you, Paul will write about the role of the church in my growth and in yours. He'll give a very clear description of what it means. He'll hint at how you and I are to know if we're actually growing. He'll actually paint a picture of how you and I can make it happen. But because we're devoting several weeks to this and not just one, I'm not going to try to cover all of this in one day. For today, the focus of our pursuit will simply be what is the goal of our growing? What are we after? I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 11, and read through verse 16. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastor-teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. And this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Now, I hope in my reading of that that you are actually able to tell that growing and maturing is the theme there are two specific sentences that I think are really revealing, and I underlined them both. Verse 13, the idea that we can be, quote, mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. And verse 15, the promise that we can be growing in every way more and more like Christ. It's simply inescapable. 
Christ is the goal. The simplest explanation of what it means to grow as a Christian is this. Am I growing more and more like Jesus? It isn't any more complex than that. Am I more like Jesus this year than I was last year? I think Jesus is the first one to ever offer this description of what it means to grow. It wasn't Paul who wrote this. Paul didn't think this up. It was Jesus who thought this up. And Luke chapter 6, there's a wonderful story. Jesus is surrounded by great crowds of adoring and interested and needy people. And Jesus, whenever he was surrounded by crowds, Jesus was filled with compassion when he looked at the crowds. It was not hard for Jesus to see great need when he looked at crowds of people. And he spent a whole lot of time in Luke chapter 6, in those chapters, he spent a whole lot of time listening to the crowds and addressing the brokenness that he saw and healing and calming and driving away demons and darkness, letting the people in those crowds know that the kingdom of God is now here. However, in Luke chapter 6, when it actually came time to teach, as Jesus usually did, the biblical authors of Luke and other Gospels say that when it came time to teach, Jesus turned his attention from the crowds to his disciples. That's what it says. Now Jesus turned to his disciples and he began to teach them, saying, when Jesus taught, he was teaching his disciples his students. That's what a rabbi always did. Now, Jesus always, always, he loved letting the crowds kind of listen in as he taught. Jesus knew that life in the kingdom of God is far better in it than life in the kingdom of God being on the outside. And he knew that if the people in the crowds listened in, many, many of them would come to him and say, tell me, rabbi, what do I have to do? What do I have to do to be in this kingdom you talk about? And they asked, and Jesus would tell them. But when Jesus taught, he was not first of all talking to the crowds. He was talking to his students, his disciples. And in this particular chapter, in this teaching session in Luke chapter 6, Jesus actually said to his disciples in verse 40, he said, look, the student, the disciple who is fully trained, will become like the teacher. The disciple, the student who is fully trained, will become like the teacher. So, am I more like Jesus this year than I was last year? That is an interesting question to ask, isn't it? What a year it has been. What a difficult year it has been. I think it's actually worth pausing long enough. Before you answer that question, are you more like Jesus this year than last year? I think it's worth pausing long enough to pay attention to Paul's comments in Ephesians 4 about immaturity, about not growing. 
Because that scares me a little bit, given this past year. Now, if you look what Paul said about immaturity and what I read in Ephesians 4, there is not a single person who says willingly, well, I'm immature. But if we can be honest, it may be the case that we have been using the wrong measuring stick for growing. It happens all the time that we measure wrong. Because Paul says this about immaturity. He says this in verse 14. He says, look, when you are getting tossed around by the world, when the ideas that you believe do not help you to stand firm in the world's crisis, when the world seems to be falling apart and you are too, then maybe you better check your definition of growing. And I don't think Paul came up with this idea himself. I know he didn't. I know he learned this from Jesus too. There's a little story that Jesus told sometimes at the end of his teaching. Jesus would tell a, a little story. We know he told it at least twice. He told this story at the end of his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. And again, he told the exact same story at the end of the teaching he was doing in Luke chapter 6 that I'm talking about. Jesus said, he told this story, he said, look, somebody who hears my teaching and does it is like a person who goes out and builds a house on the rock. And when the storms come and the wind blows and the rain breaks against the house, that house, that life stands firm. But a person who hears my teaching and does not do it is like a person who builds his house on sand. And when the storms come and the wind blow and the rain breaks against the house, great was that fall of that house, that life. It has been a year of storms, hasn't it? A year of storms. The howling wind of political division and hate the reign of racial strife, the floods of COVID. All that and more has been crashing into the lives that we have been building. How's your house? How's your house? It is an interesting year to ask, am I more like Jesus this year than I was the last Sometimes when I ask that question, I ask these specific questions of myself. I ask, for example, am I growing in courage? Am I more courageous this year than I was the last? Am I this year less fearful than I was last year? Jesus was a man of remarkable courage. When Jesus was here, the world had rules about who you could talk to and who you could eat with and who, could your friend, who your friends could be. And Jesus pretty much ignored them all. He never, ever seemed to be bothered by what people thought of him. People could say vicious, hurtful things to Jesus, and somehow he knew it was more about them than him. And when Jesus would turn around to his disciples 
Having heard those vicious, hurtful things, Jesus would say things to his disciples like, love your enemies, guys. Love your enemies. And you knew, you knew he meant it because he did. One time when Jesus was teaching and he started talking about the, the, uh, the, the leaders of Israel, Jesus started saying some hard things about the leaders of Israel. He said, they're like the blind leading the blind. They're like whitewashed tombs, painted pretty on the outside, but full of death on the inside. And the people who were listening to Jesus say those things about the leaders, they got wide-eyed and they said to Jesus, Shh, Jesus, they're right there. They're right there. And Jesus said, I know. I know. They need to hear this too. When Jesus was standing in front of Pilate, the man who would ultimately decide whether Jesus lived or died, Pilate was surprised by Jesus' defiance, his inner calm, and Pilate asked, don't you know that I have the power of life or death over you? And Jesus replied, you have no power here except the power given to you. You can't take my life. I lay it down freely. My father decides, not you. Such courage. Such courage. That courage was won in a battle of prayer in the dark, in a garden just hours earlier. When Jesus was agonizing and praying over what was to come, and he prayed, Father, can we find another way? Nevertheless, if it is your will, it will be done. Somehow, in those dark hours, Jesus came to know that if he was in the Father's hand, then he was entirely safe no matter what the world did to him. Perfect love casts out fear, Jesus said. And he knew that in the Father's hands, he was entirely safe, no matter what the world did to him. And I believe I can know the same thing Jesus did. I am in the Father's hands, and if so, I am entirely safe, no matter what the world does to me. Perfect fear casts out love, and that is still true. I think I believe that. I think I do. And so I ask myself regularly, am I growing in courage? Am I less fearful this year than I was the last? I also ask myself sometimes, am I growing in truth and love? Do I know, maybe some people are thinking, and I used to think this, they 
people will say, well, why do you put those two together? Why not just one at a time? Why don't you ask, am I growing in truth? And am I growing in love? And I used to ask that myself, but I don't anymore. I don't believe I can anymore because I now believe that truth and love cannot be separated. If we do, bad things happen. Truth without love is ugly and mean. I know people who are good at truth, but they are nasty people. I don't like listening to those people. I unfollow them on Facebook. Love without truth is meaningless and empty. I don't like listening to those people either. It's like a diet of cotton candy. Tastes good, and then I get sick. There's a great phrase in verse 15 of what I read for you in chapter 4. Paul wrote this in chapter 4, verse 15. He said that when we are growing, he said when we are growing, we will be, quote, speaking the truth in love. In the Greek language, it's actually a very fun phrase. Literally, Paul wrote, we will be truthing in love. It's a great phrase, isn't it? Truthing in love. All we do All of our actions, all of our words, all of our thoughts, all of our feelings, all of them are meant to be grounded in truth and motivated by love. So I ask, am I growing in love and truth? Now, I'll tell you, on a sunny day like this, surrounded by people I love, it's very easy for me to nod and say, yeah, I think I am. Feeling pretty loving at the moment feeling grounded in truth. So I also ask myself, am I truthing in love for my enemies? People I don't like. And this is much more painful for me. I'm guessing it's painful for some of you too. But it's a question that has to be asked, doesn't it? I mean, that is, if we believe Jesus, if we believe what he taught, if we believe what he commanded, then we have to. Because he said, love your enemies. I don't want to ask it, but I have to. Am I this year growing in my ability to love people I don't like? So is it really, really possible to live this way? Can a human being really become more and more like Jesus? I don't actually think it's an option. There is no other definition of what it means to be a Christian. None. That's what the word means, literally, as a Christian, one who is like Christ. There is simply no other way to define being a follower of Jesus 
to follow him by definition is to become like him. There's no other option. So what does it mean to grow? It means to become more and more like Jesus. There is no other plan for us. Um, In the weeks ahead, we're going to talk about how does this happen? How do we make it happen? How does God cause this? We'll talk about some other ways to measure ourselves in addition to the ones I asked today. Am I growing in courage? Am I growing in truth and love? But for today, we'll start very simply right here. What does it mean to grow? It means to ask this question. Am I more like Jesus this year than I was the last? Is that really possible? Just yesterday afternoon, I came across the name Dieter Zander. You probably don't know his name. This is him now. I have not heard this name for years, Dieter Zander. Back in 1980, Dieter Zander was one of the very first church leaders to pioneered the idea that the church has to change to reach new generations of people. And he became quite well known in pastor circles. Some pastors hated him, some loved him. He started a church, I think, in Southern California, and it grew and it grew and it grew. And pretty soon, as he was growing a church packed with young people, people started paying attention to Dieter Zander. Eventually, when he became well-known, he was recruited to teach at another up-and-coming innovative church in Chicago. That's where I got to know him, a church in Chicago. I was at that church a couple of times. I used to take people there in vanfuls of people, church leaders, to, to leadership conferences that that church held so that other people could see this church and experience it. The very first time I walked into that church in Chicago in 1995, Dieter was leading the worship. I had never in my life experienced anything like it. It was loud and energetic. It was like the music I listened to, The Who, Kansas, The Eagles, Never in my life had I ever been so engaged and drawn to God in worship. Dieter, who was leading at the time, I didn't know him, but I learned about him. Dieter was so energetic in leading worship and so enthusiastic that his bandmates said sometimes when worship was done, he would, left, he would leave blood on the piano keys from his energy in playing piano. Dieter helped me to love God. Dieter helped me as a young pastor to actually feel some hope for the church. Dieter helped me to believe again. Dieter helped this good old Pennsylvania Dutchman who dances with as little music, a little movement as possible. He helped this Pennsylvania Dutchman to find himself standing in church tears flowing down his cheeks, hands wide open. And thanking God for God's grace and his love and his power. I have never forgotten that moment in 1995 
being led to God through Dieter Zander. Always wondered what happened to Dieter. He kind of dropped off the church stage. And yesterday I found out on February 4th, 2008, in the middle of the night, while he slept, Dieter had a massive stroke. He was in a coma for six days, and when he awoke six days later, he could no longer speak. He could no longer move one hand. That was 13 years ago. Dieter has had lots of therapy, but he never got back the use of his hand. He can speak, but very slowly, one word at a time. It is painful to listen to him. He'll never play the piano again. Never lead in worship. He'll never speak at a conference. Today, Dieter Zander works in the back room of a Trader Joe's. He went from leading thousands of people to now taking apart cardboard boxes for recycling. He sorts damaged fruit so that it can be taken to shelters where damaged fruit is a gift. But Dieter finished a book a few years ago, and the book is entitled Stroke of Grace. Stroke of Grace. In it, he says that it turns out that his stroke was really a gift from God. Because while he was trapped in a body that could not move and could not speak, he said, I was left alone with Jesus. And I discovered that for all of my pastoral work and all of my leading worship, I really did not know Jesus all that well. And now I do. And he wrote, even if I could go back and undo this stroke, I would not. I would not trade what I have for all that I have lost. And those who know Dieter Zander say that when you are with him now, Jesus shines through. It really is possible to live this way. It really is. May God make it so in me and in you. May he make us to be more like his magnificent son, more like Jesus. May it be so. Let's pray. God, you are hard at work in us, in your people, in your church. You have given us so much that we get to enjoy. But Father, I pray that more than anything else, you would give us your son. That through your spirit, you would be changing us to be more and more like the people he wants us to be, like him. Pray this for myself and for everyone I come in contact with through our church. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about Horizon Church, please go to the website at horizonconnect.org. Have a great week.